0: Will you enter with me now into a space of depth, each as we are called, finding a soft meditation, a deep reflection, an ardent prayer, each as we are called, and yet all together. And we enter into this space by hearing the lamentations, the requests, and the remembrances of our community. Let us hear one another to heal one another. And please enter with me now into a space of silence, a place to breathe deep, to be held by what we understand holds us, to be in this space together, to breathe, to be, to be held. Our spoken prayer today will begin with the words from Rabbi Noah Kushner, written in the wake of the shooting in Jersey City. Rabbi Kushner shares, I am looking at the image of a young face, someone who was a victim in the third American anti-Semitic shooting in just over a year. He looks about the age of my children, and he looks full of light. We are taught every Jewish soul is part of the same body, so if we lose one, our body is incomplete. And I worry that as more souls are stolen, we will build walls and fortresses to take their place. Instead, let us cry and let us heal together and let us cry when we get together because that is how we manage to live in this world and in doing so, we will keep the light Of their souls with us this ends rabbi kushner's words light that is within each of us and beyond all of us as individuals light that shines in the faces of our lost children and the children by our sides light of the ancestors even when they thought all was lost again and again and again. Light. Light we cannot live without you. Not today on the morning of the darkest night of the year. Not today in the wake of another shooting. Not today in an era of blooming anti semiticism Light warm us. Warm us so that we do not grow cold. Cold to our sisters, to our brothers, to our kin. Light illumine us from within and without so that we can see the holy in one another's faces. And chasten us to keep returning, returning to one another even when it aches. Chasten us to... Be with one another in our times of loss and our times of joy. Remind us, light, that so much remains.
1: Amen. May it be so. Our reading today is an adaptation of Boldly You Must Hang Your Light by Reverend Teresa I. Soto the Winter Holidays had an account on Facebook. Imagine that. The Winter Holidays on their account then posted this. I have good news. You are not going to believe this. Suspend your desire to be skeptical. Millions of people will comment on something negative, but will you comment on this? Do you
2: want to know my good news? Winter Holiday would be surprised, because the comments would just keep coming and everyone would be intrigued. They'd ask, what is the good news, Winter Holidays? Tell us. And Winter Holidays would write, you are used to casual
1: mentions of the place where you belong. Faith, ethics, love and action. But what if more were possible? What if you had a sign? Garish, neon, bringing with enthusiasm the occasional blink and an ongoing bug
2: zapper buzz. People would start to respond. The comments would go wild. People immediately identified with that neon sign. They would liken that sign to a star that led to a long-awaited king, and that star to freedom fighters whose candles miraculously burned for eight nights, and those candles to the red, black, and green candles of a people who claimed their pride and their holiday, and those candles to the brilliance of the coming sun, and then that sun to a chalice, signaling that the people gathered are ready to be of service to humanity. Winter holidays would be delighted that people were listening and connecting the points of light. They would be inspired to give the whole truth of what they were communicating. They would issue their holiday charge to the people.
1: Boldly, you must hang your light, neon buzzing bright. And do not be chagrined when your light blinks it is a silent song of yes you you are welcome here boldly give your love and arrive at your joy boldly you must hang your light
2: so guess what What? there was a star (laughs) y'all No, really, the story in the Bible says that there was a star. There was a star, a family with a baby, a power-hungry king, and some wise men who were just trying to bear witness to the presence of a child king. I mean, we know this story. Even those of us who are unchurched or raised in a different religion couldn't escape the We Three Kings carol. (laughs) And if not the carol, We saw the Christmas cards with the stylish kings in their robes, walking and leading their camels toward a structure that had at its center a baby in a manger laying on hay. And on the card, there is a star that is huge and placed in the center of the scene. You couldn't miss it. A man and a woman, Mary and Joseph, his parents, look upon the baby in loving awe The three smartly dressed kings or wise men are kneeling or waiting their turns to present gifts to the baby, the tiny baby Jesus, who is generally asleep. (laughs) Do we know what the presents are? Sure, the, the, the carol just told us, but you can go ahead and yell it out if you know. Frankincense, myrrh and gold, you got it. And some of us, even know why those gifts were chosen. The gold was chosen to represent his kingship, the frankincense represented his priestly role, and the myrrh for his embalming, which as a child I found pretty gruesome. (laughs) One other thing that I thought when I was a child, because I have a very keen sense of smell, is that no matter what they said about that embalming business, The frankincense and myrrh were so that the baby didn't smell all that stench in the manger. (laughs) Uh, These are the details that no one disputes. They're in the Bible, right? Except that the Bible doesn't tell the story as we remember it. In Matthew, the second chapter, verses 1 through 12, In the New Revised Standard Version, it reads, In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, asking, Where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising, and we've come to pay homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him and calling together all the chief and priests and the scribes of the people he inquired of them where the messiah was to be born and they told him in bethlehem of judea so it's been written by the prophet and you bethlehem and the land of judea are by no means least among the rulers of judea and for from them you shall come from them shall come a ruler who is the shepherd of my people israel then Herod, that Herod, he secretly, <laughs> secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared and then sent them to Bethlehem saying, yeah, go and, and search diligently for the child and um, when you found them, bring me word so that I may may also go so, and um, pay homage. Mm-hmm. And when they heard the king, they set out and ahead of them went the star that they'd been seeing as it's rising until it stopped over the place where the child was and when they saw the star had stopped they were overwhelmed with joy and on entering the house they saw that the child was with, was with Mary his mother and they knelt down and paid him homage then opening the treasure chest they'd offered him gifts of gold frankincense and myrrh and having been warned in a dream about old Herod not to return They left for their own country by another road. Do you see how our memory of this event has been shaped by more than just the biblical reading? There is no mention of how many wise men there were. And the baby was not a baby in a manger, but a child in a house. And there was no mention of how the three kings traveled to Bethlehem. And if you're thinking to yourself, Oh, okay, in Minister Antonia, um, I remember reading about the baby Jesus being born and the wise men being there. You're mistaken. <laughs> in the book of Luke, there is an account of the baby Jesus being born and some people coming to visit, but those were not the wise men. They were shepherds. See, sometimes things become what we know as the truth, yet it only resembles the truth. It's kind of like when you buy fruit juice, (laughs) but there's only 5% juice, and the rest is just something resembling juice. In preparing for this sermon, I read an interesting book that Reverend Scott recommended me. So, you know, I was like, eh, okay. (laughs) the book was the revelation of the magi the lost tale of the wise men's journey to bethlehem by brent landau in it i learned a very different tale than the tale i learned outside of the biblical story or from the biblical account itself this story was more than awe-inspiring he was more than awe-inspiring, even than a baby Jesus in a manger and hay. More awe-inspiring, even than the wise men with the camels coming in and delivering things to the baby. This message that I read seemed to be relevant to the view that we, as Unitarian Universalists, have about religion. Hmm. Ready for this? Hold on. This is a wild one. This story starts with Adam in the Garden of Eden and ends with a visit from the Apostle Thomas, you know Doubting Thomas, who helped baptize the folk and gave them permission to spread the word all across the world. I know, right? Plot twist. (laughs) For sure, if this is the account This is the real juice. So I decided, take a sip. As I was reading the book, I allowed myself to suspend disbelief and treat it like it was 100% juice. It changed the way that I think of the magi and it gave me a great question to ponder. In this story, the kings were magi. And so as not to confuse you, not the magi that we learned like, magician or astrologer, not the same type. They were from the ancient land of Shear. They were a devout people who are not known to the Israelites or anyone on the other side, further west, and so nobody even knew what their religion was. Hmm. In their culture, the word magi was a play on words. It came from the word magoi, in which the language that they spoke meant to be silent and to pray. You see, the Magi prayed in silence every day and traveled up a mountain every month in preparation of being ready to meet the star when it arrived. They purified themselves and were pious in their way of living, and for generations they waited each with a son or male relative to replace them if they died before the mission was completed. So, yes, misogyny and patriarchy were alive and well, even in this story. Imagine that. I know, right? (laughs) Before anyone gets upset, yes, I understand the complex historical and biological necessity of preserving one's daughters, And still, I think that there just might have been room for someone of these wise men to be wise people. But I digress. The story goes, this star is not like any star we have ever seen. This star is like a big, bright, shiny star that has something special inside. This star when it allows you to look directly at it, that means you're a magi. You ready? You're not going to believe this. It has a very tiny baby Jesus inside. (laughs) I was astounded myself because I have heard the stories in many variations and none of them ever included a baby Jesus in a star. It was epic. In the book, Landau states, the Magi relate the story to their miraculous encounter with the star and subsequent journey to Bethlehem and back to the people of Shear. They conclude the story by revealing to the people that they can experience the presence of the star child, whom the Magi claim is still with them since he is in fact present through the world the star child is present throughout the entire world right a universal god i can see why the early christian leaders added on that apostle thomas came and baptized the people can you How different Christianity would be if there was a belief in a universal God as the message? No need to convert or call God by any name except the one you choose. There's a universal God. No need to accept other people's tenets of faith. There is a universal God. No need to cast anyone out or aside. We got us a universal God. No need to go to war for religion. There's a universal God, wow, universal God. I've been thinking about the Magi and their mission. And I've been thinking about how they passed down this belief of their mission to follow the star from generation to generation. How they were able to hold this belief as a prominent feature of their formation and the formation of their children. I started to think, what's been passed down in my family? What is as important as that star? What was paramount in my formation? What have we sacrificed? and gone through extreme measures to preserve as holy and also vital. I came up with a connection to the holy and to education. When I named the holy in education, I felt a renewed sense of direction. It felt like I remembered the answer to a question that I forgot to ask. Like, I finally remembered that password to that account. I know you know what I'm talking about. You know, I'm remarkably, remarkably privileged that I can name these things from a family of origin point of view. I also recognize that sometimes we choose our family and that in our choosing, we still form a sense of importance and endurance of those values across those relationships. I could see how recognition of the holy could be a foundational value for my family. Time and time again, seeing the holy has gotten my family through tough times and has made the good times more nuanced and special. I see the holy everywhere. It's in the flame of our chalice in the faces of us all. It's in the air that we breathe. It's in nature. It's in science. It's in religion. They're all faces of the holy to me. However, I couldn't understand how something as mundane as education could be compared to a star filled with the baby Jesus. Hmm. I reflected back over the known history of my family. I did as any good Gen Xer would do. I pulled up the National Registry of Historic Places to look at my ancestral home, the Thomas and Melinda Benton House. It's in Turkey Creek, Mississippi. Wikipedia reads, in 1886, in 1886, who knows when slavery was abolished? I meant 1866, in 1866, and slavery was abolished when? One year after slavery was abolished, a group of emancipated African Americans settled along Turkey Creek, Mississippi on about 320 acres, formerly owned by the Arkansas Lumber Company. Freed slaves Thomas and Melinda Benton acquired enough land so that their holdings compromised 50% of the community. Later. Settlers purchased property from the Bentons, which served as a transportation route for early settlers, and residents often planted gardens, grew fruit trees, and raised livestock on their property. The thing that Wikipedia doesn't know is that there was a sort of caravan to our ancestral lands every year. All the children had to go. You had to learn to fish on the creek. You had to learn not to drown in the creek. (laughs) You had to learn to plant things. You had to learn the language of the creek. and You had to learn where you came from. What Wikipedia also didn't know was that the family lore says that my ancestors could read and do math, that they knew how to work the land, negotiate contracts, and how to read people. education was just as special as Star Jesus. Right now, people may not value education as much as our forebears did, but if we all look back to our family's past, some past more recent than others, especially if your ancestors were poor, not male, brown, ethnically white, or of a different religion, can see how access to education was seen as just as much of a nonsensical farce as being exposed and completely transformed by the baby Jesus star. Suffice to say, people like us weren't being educated. I would like us all to stop and consider What is worth study? What's worth contemplation and a rededication of effort in our lives for the duration of our lives? Hmm. I'm going to give us a few seconds to consider it, and then I want you to hold it in the forefront of your mind. What's worth a rededication of effort in our lives for the duration of our lives? What's worth study and contemplation? Do you have it? If you do, hold it. And if you don't, it's okay. Consider it as you go about your day-to-day. It's a big question. So if you have it, is yours as awe-inspiring as a star filled with a talking baby Jesus? I think, I think, I think we need to hold space for the star. Just hold space for it. We need to suspend belief to see the miraculous and the mundane in front of us. Maybe our star doesn't have a baby Jesus. Maybe it has something even more important, more important to our lives. Find your star and follow it. Decide what you're passing down to your descendants. And this. Descendants, it doesn't mean your children. It can, but it doesn't have to. Your descendants could be the people who come after you in your faith. Your descendants could be the people who come after you in your profession, in your hobbies. What holds so much importance in your life that in the future it will take many stories to be told? to make sense of its experience. Let's make room for the nonsensical, the miraculous, and the stars of our lives. Let's all be filled with the awe that lets us chase the stars. Let's let us consider a talking baby Jesus or a baby in a manger or something in a microscope or the beautiful leaves that fall in the snow and the ice trees. Let's be filled with awe. Let's chase our stars. Amen. Ashe, blessed be. As you go out into our greater community, may you be the light that pierces the darkness. May you find your star that sends you on a journey to witness and to act. May it be so.